0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's byt dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Hi, everybody. Cheryl Atkinson here. Welcome to another edition of Full Measure After Hours. Today, we're counting down to our new Season 7 of Full Measure coming soon, and we're also going to get some rare clarity about some COVID controversies from one scientist who's been spot on and unafraid to speak out against false narratives, even when they're coming from some of the most powerful people. I've been traveling all summer, beginning research and shooting on a lot of stories, which will of course continue throughout the season, but just the issues that I've gotten a head start on are so fascinating and I know you're going to appreciate hearing a lot of the information that hasn't been published or hasn't aired in many other places. If you've been listening to these podcasts, you know that I've just been back to the southern border again. And I don't know if it's coincidence or what, but often when I go down there, it seems like I find myself in the middle of news. And this time it was no different. Our story that's coming up on Full Measure soon will show you what's been happening as we reached what could turn out to be an all time record in American history for illegal immigration. Add the COVID cases, and there are some really amazing stories we'll be telling. And you won't have to wonder if someone's giving you the whole story. You'll see for yourself what we found. We're also doing stories on critical race theory and the fighting in local schools. Our cameras happened to be there when fights broke out at a Loudoun County School Board meeting in Virginia over the controversy. I'll also have information that's never been published about a criminal investigation involving critical race theory and who got caught backing a controversial anonymous Facebook page that turned out to be going after parents who were opposed to critical race theory. I'll also be reporting from Puerto Rico again, where they're actually having a boom I didn't expect to find, a big tourist boom, and they really need it. We were there to talk about a fascinating economic plan that they've put in place to try to help pull out of their bankruptcy. I'll also be reporting from Puerto Rico about a unique FBI mission there. The FBI has been a huge part of rooting out all of the corruption involving U.S. taxpayer funding for hurricane aid. You probably haven't heard much about those corruption cases, unless you've been listening to Full Measure the last couple of years, but we'll have more information on that. And we'll also be continuing our original reporting on COVID-19. It's become so important and the controversies surrounding the crisis. I'm hearing every day from people who don't feel like they're getting accurate information or the full story necessarily when it comes to other media or public health officials we've been providing some of that to make sure that you hear a lot of different studies and views and research because these things are changing by the day and as you know a lot of the public health advice and public health officials have proven to be wrong and in some cases there's been information that's been intentionally falsified we documented that on the last season of full measure how CDC has sometimes not just put out incorrect information, but has intentionally falsified information so far without anybody even being held publicly accountable. Well, along those lines, I just spoke to Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who you may have seen on previous editions of Full Measure, who's proven to be off narrative and spot on with many important COVID issues. Today, you're gonna hear him talk about the mask debate, COVID in children, And the propaganda campaign to controversialize, censor, and cancel scientists and researchers who've talked about solid data and research that happens to be off the narrative of powerful interests. So stick with me after a short break. You'll hear from Dr. Bhattacharya. Do you have something to say and want to make your own podcast? Let me tell you how to do that for free with Anchor. Anchor has creation tools that let you record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. You can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places, and you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's all you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. And now here's Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, who is an MD and PhD, a professor of medicine a senior fellow at the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research, and he has a lot of other credentials.
0: Okay, so on, on children, I, I, I think that, the day, that there's no evidence that I've seen that suggests that COVID is a high risk for children. It just is not. Uh, last year, more children died of the flu, even though the flu disappeared and we had a vaccine for the flu last year. Um, and, and, so, and more children died of the flu last year than COVID. Uh, in, in, um, in the same is true this year in the data. Now, what has happened with children is that there's a, there's a virus called the respiratory syncytial virus, RSV, and that mostly disappeared last year in, in, uh, in around m- in many parts of the world. That's actually quite dangerous for children. Not, that doesn't really harm adults, but it's really quite dangerous for children. You had a year where children weren't exposed to it, and now they get, they get exposed again, or they get exposed for, for the first time. When they're a little bit older, uh, they're immune naive, and you actually get Bad reactions to it, and so I think a lot of the hospitalizations of children have to do with the lockdowns. We uh, pr- protected them against RSV by keeping them at home, keeping them away from their friends, um, their daycares, and so on. And now they're now they're getting exposed to it uh, with with sort of deadly consequences. I I, I think this is a lockdown harm, uh, the, the 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 explosion of RSV cases. Uh, I and it has me more more worried for children than. The exposure to COVID, COVID is still, from the, all the data I've seen, still quite uh, a benign illness in children. It, it's not that it can't hurt you, but t- t- I think there's uh, very uh, vanishingly few ch- healthy children have had uh, have died from COVID. Almost almost every child that's died from COVID has had some severe pre-existing condition.
1: Well, let me mention something about um, getting COVID as a child that. Reminds me of something that my daughter's doctor, when she was young, told me when she was getting her vaccines, um, pox vaccine was invented about the time my daughter was at that age, a few years old. And the first year it was out, it wasn't required at school. Her doctor said, I'd rather her get chicken pox than have the vaccine because the vaccine may not last very long. And if it just puts off her getting chicken pox till she's older when chicken pox is more dangerous, I think she's better getting exposure to chicken, real chicken pox when she's younger and skipping the vaccine. Well, the next year it became required and we got it, but that always stuck in my mind. And I kind of wonder, are kids better off theoretically, not that we want people to be infected, I'm not suggesting that again, but um, do we want kids if the alternative is getting infected when they're older and they may be sicker? or the the alternative is them getting infected now when it may be asymptomatic and very mild? Isn't it better for them of the two to have it now and have natural immunity that may be really long lasting?
0: Yeah, I mean, that is the, that's exactly how other, the other coronaviruses work. Um, you, You get it. Anyone that's had kids has had this experience. The kids come home from daycare or from preschool or whatever, and they bring all the, 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 the germs with them, right? And then, and parents spend, uh, you know, several years uh, be, becoming reacquainted with colds again. Um, I mean, that, 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 that actually is actually a healthy thing, especially for the kids. The kids get exposed to these coronaviruses when they are young, and it produces almost no, no uh, nothing other than sniffles. And then when they're older, they are protected against severe disease that would have happened if they weren't, were immune naive to those, co- those same coronaviruses. Um, that is the uh, likely long-term outcome from COVID. Right? The, it's, it, it'll turn into a f- the fifth circulating coronavirus uh, in the human population. Uh, there's some uh, interesting historical information, for data for sh- suggesting that when um, OC43, which is this like uh, circulating coronavirus, first entered the human population, I think in the ni- late 19th century in Russia, it produced an enormous epidemic. But now it's just a circulating cold, um, and that that the the proceed the 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 the, uh, the the outcome that you said, which is exactly what happened with it, I think, is children just get exposed to OC43 when they're little. Um, it doesn't produce a very severe result, and because of that, they get immunity, so that when they're exposed to it later in life, maybe multiple times later in life, because you get multiple times you get a cold. Um, it, it doesn't produce severe disease. I think that is uh, that is likely the likely long-term outcome of COVID as well.
1: Well, it makes me wonder if if people think they're supposed to keep their kids from getting exposed at all by wearing masks, keeping them isolated, and vaccinating them with a vaccine that doesn't last very long. Are you just making it where their immune systems eventually, when they do get exposed down the road, if they can't stay unexposed for the next you know seventy years? that they're going to get hit harder or that it's worse for them at that point?
0: I mean, I guess I'd worry more about that, Cheryl, if, if I thought that the that all these interventions like masks and, and lockdowns were particularly effective at stopping disease spread. And as we've seen it, they, they really aren't. Um, I mean, short of like draconian things like what New Zealand is doing or whatever China did, you know, locking people in their house, um, most of these interventions are not particularly effective. People will get exposed whether we want to stop it or not
1: something sticks in my mind i wanted to get your comment on about isolating at home Um, when governor cuomo one of the last news conferences he gave he gave that was carried on national television in the spring of 2020 he announced that a really large percent vast majority of cases in the hospital for covid at that time were among people that had reported isolating at home or were in a congregate setting like nursing home and he said We're going to have to figure out why that is. And he noted that it was not homeless people. It was not people living outside and being outside. And I never heard much more about that, although I think there was some kind of admission a year later by CDC that cases are almost never transmitted outdoors, or at least there's not evidence of it. But did we just make a huge blunder by shutting down parks and beaches and arresting the guy surfing out in the surf by himself in California when that's what everybody... What more people should have been doing?
0: Yeah, that was an enormous blunder, an absolutely catastrophic mistake, especially the nursing homes, right? So, the first indication of, of, of uh, one of the first indications of COVID in the United States was that nursing home in, in Washington state, which, where, where the infection proved so deadly. Um, instead of taking a lesson from that, which is that those kind of congregate settings and indoor spread were really quite dangerous. We decided uh, in the early days of the epidemic that what was necessary was to spare hospital beds, maybe because we looked at Italy and saw overwhelmed hospital systems. So we emptied out hospitals, uh, nursing homes, uh, you know, New York famously, but also I think New Jersey, Pennsylvania, a few other states sent the nursing infected COVID patients back to nursing homes in order to clear hospital beds. And uh, with absolutely devastating results, much of the the, the, the reason why the highest, the highest per capita death from COVID are, uh, states are still New York and New Jersey is because of that mistake. Enormous numbers of people that didn't need to die died as a result of uh, essentially a, a, an intellectual error, thinking that what was necessary, what was scarce was hospital beds rather than what was scarce was uh, folks' protection of the vulnerable.
1: Well, nursing homes aside, I'll tell you what uh, another scientist who's proven quite spot on, like you have on many things, told me early on. Um, tell me if my understanding of this is correct. He said, isolating at home, where if you have any exposure, but you're going to sit and breathe the same air of somebody for eight hours, 10 hours, 24 hours, is much riskier than leaving your house. And he used an example of going to work where you're not going to stand at somebody's desk typically and talk to them for an hour. you're going to, you know, breeze by and talk for a minute or two or make a comment. He led me to believe fairly early on that these casual passings, um, leaving the house and so on is, is better. And I wonder if that's why they noted this problem from people who had reported isolating at home with so many of them in the hospital.
0: I, I think he's completely right. That's 100% true. I think the, um, I, I can give you an extreme example of this, right? So in in Mumbai, India, there's a slum district called the Dharavi slums. Um, uh, a friend of mine did a seroprevalence study in Mumbai where he compared the, the prevalence of the disease in July of last year, 2020, uh, versus uh, in, in, this, in the slums versus the rest of Mumbai. In the slums, the living conditions are extremely crowded, you know, 10, 11, a, a huge numbers of people within a household. They had a, a, no, a lockdown in the early days of the epidemic that forced so many poor people to go live in essentially very crowded living conditions and not go outside for a risk of getting arrested or, or fined or something. Um, what, what my friend who ran the study found is that there was a, I think it was like a 60 or 70% prevalence of the disease in the slums during the lockdown. The disease was spread during the lockdown and in inside very crowded homes. Whereas the rest of the, rest of the uh, Mumbai was like 20%. L- l- forcing people back in their homes, paradoxically, I think may actually have made the disease spread more.
1: Wow. Um, So a couple final points that I was hoping you could address. I've been listening and watching some of my colleagues report with, I think, far less information than, well, with I know in some cases, far less information than I've gotten digging around and talking to varied scientists, but they seem to all be giving medical advice. And the medical advice typically falls along the lines of everybody should get vaccinated. They kind of cheer on if they find somebody did, they kind of chide if somebody didn't, regardless of knowing whether the person has a previous infection and is is presumed immune or not, or has any other issues. What do you make of this sort of one-sided reporting when it comes to very important medical issues that the press suddenly, maybe not so sudden the last couple of years, but I'll say suddenly reports only one side and only certain facts, and deems the contrary data and science and viewpoints to be dangerous and something that can't be discussed, let alone advocated or aired on television.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I can give you my personal experience. So before, I mean, before this epidemic, I did had almost no exposure to the press. Uh, and um, I, I, <laughs> I frankly would like to go back to that. I, I mean, not with you except to share, of course, I mean, but uh, I'm, I think, um, like I had a I, I wrote this Great Barrington Declaration arguing for focused protection of the vulnerable, um, and uh, the, the 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 document discussed uh, sort of the rest of the population, the lockdown harms, the harms of the lockdowns to the rest of the population, arguing that the lockdown harms are devastating, which I think all of this is true, um, and it discussed herd immunity because you know how else do you talk about the the long run of this epidemic without talking about herd immunity. Uh, Almost immediately after we released it, there was this sort of concerted press effort, uh, in part egged on by people like Dr. Fauci, who propagandized and said, look, uh, these guys want the disease to let it rip through society. The words let it rip do not appear in the document. The the heart of the Great Barrington Declaration is the focus protection of the vulnerable. If, if the claim is that you can, by a public health official that you can't protect the vulnerable, well, they should just come out and say so uh, because it's it's wrong and you, people will be laughed out of the room. Instead, they the the uh, the public health authorities decided to mischaracterize the the, the the document as a let it rip strategy, and then used, uh, used the press to essentially echo that pro, uh, that 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 message and de-platform anyone who who argued in favor of focused protection. Um, it, it was an absolutely remarkable thing to me to essentially see a propaganda campaign, and that's in the United States. In the, in the UK, there was explicitly uh, a propaganda campaign uh, that by, by the government itself, which wanted to defend its lockdown policies that it adopted. Um, you cannot have a, a reasoned discussion about what the right strategy is in, a, in a, an environment like this if you shut out a whole class of people who disagree with you, especially uh, scientists and experts who disagree. T- hundreds of thousands of people signed the Great Barrington Declaration, tens of thousands of doctors and scientists signed it. Um, there's no consensus. And the idea that there was a consensus was, was essentially an element of propaganda, I think.
1: Well, I've written of this in books and I've done stories about this, talking with other scientists over the years. This certainly may be the most blatant example of scientists being controversialized and deplatformed for simply having data and viewpoints that differ from the narrative, but it's, it's not the first time. I, I guess when I started covering, getting assigned to cover medical issues when I was an investigative reporter at CBS News, I knew nothing of this, but I quickly learned that when scientists go off the public health narrative, they have their grants pulled from them so they can't have funding, they get pressure from their academic institutions, they're controversialized in the press, there's pressure to retract their studies. I think people don't fully understand unless they've read some of this, what science goes through, what honest scientists have happened to them simply for being part of a valid scientific discussion. And I think it's been really a serious problem that my industry, the press has failed at because we're supposed to be the ones asking the questions, not simply taking the propaganda. I mean, certainly doesn't mean everything the government says is, is wrong any more than it means they're right. But there are many viewpoints, particularly when there's evolving science as there almost always is. And it's up to us, I think, to read, research more, whether we think we know enough to agree or not to air different viewpoints and make sure that it's all out there. I think we wouldn't have made a lot of the mistakes we've made the past year if the press had done a better job of uh, representing you know, views in a wholesome way.
0: I, I completely agree with you, Cheryl. I, I think that there is a responsibility to the press. I mean, I actually, uh, frankly, I think that it, the 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 general press has been more open, you know, to, to 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 views, and partly because I think there's this adversarial like you know left right thing within the general press than the science press has been. The science press was absolutely terrible on this, you know, Scientific American, uh, a whole bunch of like scientific science reporters have have sort of uh, enforced this party line. I've gotten a lot of. Emails, uh, you know, since I, I wrote the Great Brandon Declaration from scientists who signed it and others, uh, some who've like thanked me for a lot of sort of giving them permission to speak up effectively, which they and they but a lot of them telling me that they have silenced themselves for fear of of, of repercussions. Exactly along as as you suggest, like you know, pulled grants, um, and that's actually happened. People have been fired. Because they signed the declaration, people have lost their lost their their ability. Uh, they lost invitations to work on projects with colleagues. Um, have been marginalized when their departments. It's a it's a career risk to say what you think. Apparently now in science.
1: Well, I'd like to thank you for being out there because it's not easy to put yourself out there with information that's factual but not necessarily in line with what some other people are saying. And I'd like to close by asking you or. I guess commenting on all the travels that I've con- I've done in the last year and a half or so, and I've gone to many places that again I've shown some of these on TV, but you don't see them widely represented. While the cities are sometimes inundated with really bad cases of coronavirus, much of America is living what I would call a fairly normal life, where they went back to school. There are cities I've been to fall of um, the year COVID was going on, so that would be fall of twenty twenty with they played school sports. They had no inordinate spikes. Um, I've been to many places, obviously mostly cities that have a lot of bad COVID, but I've also, I happen to live in a place where I don't personally know anybody in my neck of the woods that died of COVID, got sick of COVID, or even tested positive COVID. So I don't know if it's yet to come in some areas or it's because these are rural settings, but I don't know. What's your comment on the notion that there are big swaths of America living kind of normal lives while we're watching on TV, what's going on in a lot of big cities.
0: I mean, I think, I think you're absolutely right, Cheryl. I think in many parts of the, of, of, uh, the United States that the, the, the epidemic is done. It's not the disease is gone, um, the disease is still, still around. Uh, I, I think all of America should be like this at this point. We have actually done, I mean, if, if you think about it from a, from a point of view of like technically what we've done is remarkable. We've produced a vaccine that, and deployed it among the vulnerable in record time. Relative to other epidemics, um, the 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 disease is defanged. Uh, we should be celebrating. Instead, uh, you know, uh, San Francisco is is still locked down. Uh, it's not clear that the children will be able to go go to in person school there again. Um, at least not without like you know multiple masks or something. I mean, it's it's uh, a, a huge numbers of people around the country are living free. Um, it's a disease. It's a disease we have to learn to live with. It's not that it's. It, I mean, it's. It's not that it's nothing. It's obviously something. It's. It's. It's killed so many people, but at the same time, uh, to organize all of our life around infection control and not just any infection control. Infection control of a single disease is folly, and we have to. We have to. And looking at. you know, Sweden has not had a single COVID death. I think in a month, um, and they live in completely open. Um, you know, with with. So I think it's one of these things where like. Uh, it's very easy to get stuck in your own little bubble if you live in a, in a, 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 um, you know, a big blue city uh, to thinking that this is what normal life is ever going to be like. But in fact, much of the world, if, if many parts of the world have freed themselves from this sort of COVID, uh, co- these COVID lockdowns and have come out, come out the other side lo- looking like that's the much better way to live. We, we have sort of two paths to choose from. One path is what you just described, fr- essentially a free, free, free freedom, um, uh, while we still worry about the COVID, about uh, like if, as a medical problem, we don't we don't like reorganize life around it, or we live life like uh, Australia, where every uh, every every few days one COVID case comes up and we shut down the shut down our life for a very long time. I think those are the very starkly those are the, that's the that's the choice we face.
1: Well, my hope is that as we hear of spiking case counts reported, as if it's something that's the worst thing that's ever happened. And certainly it is for people who get very, very ill or who pass away. But the flip side of that is those are more people in that city. And we almost never mentioned who are presumably immune afterwards. So these cities are becoming safer, theoretically, as they have these spikes in cases. And maybe we'll, we do come out the other end better off sooner rather than later.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we've, we've um, dragged this out for such a long time. Um, with very bad i mean essentially what we've done with these lockdowns is is uh, something my colleague martin kulder likes to call the let it drip strategy we've instead of letting it rip we've let it drip and we've infected so many older older people result you, you can only do lock locking away people for a certain amount of time before people get fatigued around it they have to live their life and we've instead of taking a strategy that that aims at protecting the vulnerable, letting people live their normal life. We've tried to like protect, we block everyone away. And the consequences, we end up infecting the vulnerable while still getting all these horrible lockdown arms. It's the worst of both worlds.
1: Thank you so much. That was so interesting. I'll send you um, links to the these podcasts, but that was great. So informative. I knew it would be.
0: Really fun to talk with you.
1: Thank you. Stay in touch, please.
0: I know. Take care.
1: Bye. That was Dr. J. Bhattacharya. His entire interview, which covers a whole lot more, is on my other podcast, the Cheryl Ackeson podcast, which usually posts on Fridays, but I think we might be posting this edition early because there's so much interest in the topic and the topics are so important. Dr. Bhattacharya will address lockdowns, Fauci and gain-of-function research, lab origins, vaccine passports, natural immunity antibody-dependent enhancement, and RSV, among other things. So check out the Cheryl Atkinson podcast. I know this is going to be an episode that you're going to want to share with a lot of your friends. Americans are rightly alarmed by the increasingly tight grip on the news and information by special interests, corporate interests, and big tech. In my new book, Slanted, How the News Media Taught Us to Love Censorship and Hate Journalism, I tell the important inside story of how we got here and the Orwellian world where we will find ourselves if the course isn't altered. Pick up a copy of Slanted today. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to Full Measure After Hours, leave a good review, share it with your friends. Also, check out my other podcast, the Cheryl Akison Podcast, for more interesting off-narrative information on all kinds of topics, including that which is otherwise considered untouchable or censored. All summer long, we'll be airing the best of Full Measure while I'm researching and reporting and shooting news stories for Full Measure Season 7 starting in September. You can watch Full Measure on TV. Go to CherylAckeson.com and click the Full Measure tab to see the listings to find out where Full Measure plays near you on Sundays. You can also find us anytime by downloading the app Stir S-T-I-R-R. You can catch that live on Sundays or you can see replays whenever you want to. Stir also has other things like movies and local news and other cool programs all free. And if it's easiest, you can go to fullmeasure.news online anytime, fullmeasure.news, to see replays of the latest program. You can also catch Full Measure Live there on Sundays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time. And then we post the day's show on Sundays about noon Eastern Time after it airs in most markets. Do your own research. Make up your own mind. Think for yourself.